Hello, and welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lindsay Dean, and I'm the host for this episode, which is being recorded on location at the 2023 California Lawyers Association Annual Meeting in San Diego, California. Joining me now, I have Dr. Chris Matman. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Before we get to our topics, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work, what you do, and uh, why you're here? So I wear a number of hats. I'm a Chief Technology and Innovation Officer at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. JPL is NASA's national lab. That means we do special stuff, first-of-a-kind stuff. If commercial industry did it, we have to transition. Uh, If it's repetitive, if it's something that commercial industry can build, we have to transition it to them. So our first-of-a-kind stuff that we still do is we operate the Deep Space Internet or the Deep Space Network, and then we do the Mars Rover program. But yeah, that's my main gig. I'm a professor at USC. I teach data science and computer science. I've taught there for a number of years. I'm an author. I wrote a book called Machine Learning with TensorFlow, which is uh, one of the foundational books on AI. Mm. And uh, I do a lot of advising and consulting and talking to really enlightened individuals like yourselves. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, that is a lot of hats, yes. So how does one become... How did you get started in this? How did you become kind of one of the leading experts in this space? What brought you here? You know, it it wasn't like, it was was a path less traveled. I went to the University of Southern California for my undergraduate. I went there having nothing to do with academics. I was a college football fan. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up in Santa Clarita in a trailer, I didn't have much to do. And we were far away from my friends. And so I watched a lot of sports and I was into sports and actually... When I never grew past 5'9", I knew I would never play sports but um, professionally, but I got into like media and yearbook and journalism, and I did sports journalism, and that was like my big foray into computers, and like just Photoshop, Illustrator, and you know, I had had like computers before that, but it was like the Mac Classic and the Apple IIe, and I hope your listeners know what that is, otherwise I'm dating myself, but... <laughs> um, Yeah. So anyways, after high school and I did the yearbook and did all that, I was into college football. And at the time, Michigan and USC were really good. They were winning the Rose Bowls and the national championship. I applied to both. I got into USC. So when I got into USC, I went there. I couldn't afford it. I got a bunch of grants and scholarships. And I used to sit up in the computer lab late at night, just hustling and doing work. And um, I picked computers because I was learning about them and I was good at math. And so I thought that that would be a cool thing to learn about. And uh, yeah, so my second year at USC, I, um, there's like a job board. We have job board postings back then. Mm-hmm. We didn't have like Monster. or whatever. It was like bulletin board system type of stuff. And so yeah. there was an advertisement from a place called JPL. And I couldn't have told you any difference between it and the headphone company, like JBL. I didn't know. Uh-huh. And I just knew I needed a job. And so I got a job working for an atmospheric scientist there, a guy named Dr. Rob Raskin. And I was programming databases for earthquake stuff. And um, did that for a while. Went back to USC to get a master's. Really, uh, at the time, I had a a girlfriend becoming my wife eventually. And we had a home, and I had bills. And so I went back for a master's. And I met a really, really um, amazing professor there, Dr. Ninad Medvedevich, who became my advisor. But he was a young, uh, non-tenured, still hustling in computer science and caring about his small group. And he motivated me and inspired me to like become a writer and to get into writing and to do computer science research. And the rest is sort of history kind of related to that. Got, that got me deep into computers. 
while I was at USC, I got involved in, well, the world was changing. Uh, everyone was becoming a sensor. Everyone had an iPhone. It wasn't just NASA or the big, you know, governments or big companies that had the ability to take data. Everyone was taking data, and that was a little bit of the focus of my talk today um, about AI. Is that data just became pervasive, you know, everywhere. And while that was all happening, I got involved in some of the like big movements in the software that manages data. I got involved in, you know, the open source Apache Software Foundation. I got on the board of directors of that. I helped to build the technology called Hadoop. Which is the modern big data sort of foundational technology. I joke if you've ever clicked on anything on the internet, you've ever typed, you've ever transacted, done a search, Hadoop is powering it behind it across every industry. It's a $20 billion, you know, value type of technology product annually. So I got involved in that. I just didn't end up buying a winery in Paso Robles or an island <laughs> because I worked for the government, you know, but yeah, I, I contributed to that. That allowed us to manage our data better at NASA and a bunch of other places. Uh, because I got the PhD and I was involved in USC, I hung around and started teaching there. I love my alma mater and try and give back. And yeah, I, I live in Northeast Los Angeles, Pasadena. That's mm -hmm. my home. And yeah. Okay. That all is starting to make sense how you're able to put together such a comprehensive picture then as we were able to see just now in, in the session you shared at the CLA annual. So obviously you shared so much data in that and so much not data, so much information um, around what to expect and what we're seeing now. And you talked a lot about this time and place, why we're suddenly seeing AI here and AI this, and this technology is powered by AI and this, and you called it a watershed moment. Can you, in a nutshell, if, if possible, talk a little bit about why now? What's, what's the tipping point? What's happening there? So the first part of it was that computing change. And, and like I talked about, everyone became a sensor. The ways that we processed data changed. You didn't need to be a big company like Silicon Graphics or Dell. Mm -hmm. um, and Google showed us that we could use open source commodity hardware and software to manage information, to do it for cheap, so that verticals and companies everywhere could manage big data because the coming deluge was going to force them and necessitate them to. The second sort of part of the tripod is with big data, you need, it's too much of it, it's coming too fast, you have to organize it and make sense of it. And that came along with the 2012 Obama administration, second terms, big data initiative. That came sort of the 5V framework for understanding big data and moving towards programs that would process and refine it. And this will become important in a second, but during the second term of the Obama administration and that big data initiative, there were DARPA programs, $100 million programs, XData, Memex. They were funded to basically make sense of the 5V framework of big data, volume, velocity, uh, variety, veracity, and value. Mm -hmm. So basically, the idea is there are thousands of different file types on the internet. There are millions, trillions of files and things like that, the data being produced. Mm -hmm. And all of our computer programs and everything else, and including AI, expect the data to be uniform. It expects it to be a table that has cells and that has columns and rows. The columns are basically what we want to observe and the rows are samples or different observations of that. Mm -hmm. But the world doesn't look that way. It's PowerPoints, it's PDFs and all of that. So these big investments made during the second term of the Obama administration for big data were basically the same types of investments that like BP, that Chevron makes to refine crude oil, you know, and turn it into 95 octane. Mm -hmm. And that is intellectual property. That is business value. That's automation. Mm -hmm. And so during the time of like 2012 to 2016, big, big investments at the government, commercial and everywhere level were made to basically develop those pipelines. And with that, 
you make sense of the plethora of data on the internet. Mm -hmm. Now that you have the ability to like, you know, have the plethora of data on the internet available in tabular format, all of a sudden you can do amazing things with AI. Mm -hmm. And the watershed moment over the last 10 years related to that is in 2012, there was a model built called AlexNet and that was a model built by the student of the famous Google uh, scientist who uh, left Google recently and said, you know, AI is going to destroy us all. Mm -hmm. His name was Jeffrey Hinton. His student, Alex, for which the model is named after, developed in 2012 the first AI model using that tabular data and all mm -hmm. that that was better than human performance in visual recognition tasks like object recognition, image recognition, and things like that. It's mm -hmm. the foundation of modern smart vehicles and modern computer vision. 2014, um, the Chinese search engine company Baidu built a model called Deep Speech. Mm -hmm. That's like the human ear. It hears audio and like this <laughs> and mm -hmm. translates it to text, mm -hmm. and including in multiple languages. And so with a capability like that, all of a sudden you have an ear. Mm -hmm. And it's better than human performance in 2014. And in 2018, Google had a model called BERT, which is the transformer architecture, which is the foundation of ChatGPT, mm -hmm. which is natural language conversation input and natural language conversation response. Mm. And all of a sudden you've got automation, robotic powered senses, and all of these capabilities built on top of the internet, an infinite supply of data that has that can be refined and input into this AI. Mm. That's the watershed moment. Not everyone realizes these technologies have been present in, and sorry to set this off, your Amazon Alexa, your Google Home, <laughs> they've been present in your smart vehicle, they've been you know present uh, on the internet. And so now all of these things are present, these senses are there, and that's, that's the moment. Wow, yeah, that's a lot to come into a moment. We're all seeing it really come to fruition here. So thanks for breaking that down uh, a little bit for us. As we're seeing all of these technologies evolve, or as we're seeing them, we're recognizing what they are, if they've always been around, like, or have been around for a while now, as you're saying, how would you say we should become and more discerning users? Of, of, the, of the tech and how, do we, how are we thinking about the ways in which we use it and, and the ways in which we're cautious of um, and the best applications of these for these types of technologies? As this sort of tech has started to become more mainstream and people have kind of like realized what exists and ChatGPT was the big moment. It was like anybody on a website or on an app can type to something that responds like a human and that mm -hmm. processes, not just like responds and answers search engines queries, but like literally can reason about complex things, can write term reports, can pass bar exams, can pass medical exams. With that demonstration, people first, after they, their minds were blown and like, you know, the dust cleared, they started to ask, how did it do this? Mm -hmm. And then they started to ask, well, what data was it trained on? Where did they get that data? Oh, companies own this. Oh, this was, partially my data or other things on the internet. This was comments, this was things from Reddit, this was all of Wikipedia. This was data that they potentially bought that's available, maybe de-identified you know, health data, maybe you know, other types of data <clears throat> that social media companies collect. So people started to ask, what data was this trained on? That's a big deal. The other thing they started to ask is, hey, you know, uh, like recently you know, there was a legal brief filed and this was mentioned by a member in the audience after the talk, which was great, but I had heard about this as well. There was a legal mm -hmm. brief filed in which the law firm actually used ChatGPT to generate that briefing, and it included a lot of information that was very believable, but actually turned out to be false. Mm -hmm. And so people started to say, well, why does it do that? 
and they've coined the term hallucinations, but that in general and more broadly related to AI has to do with confidence in the predictions that it makes. And a more simplistic way to explain it is like with the weather. It's like if AI told us it was going to rain tomorrow and it didn't, and we say, well, what happened? You know, well, AI, you know, we need to ask the AI what its confidence was that it was going to rain tomorrow. And it might have told us it, I was only 15% confident, mm -hmm. but everything else was less than that, you know, so whether it was going to be sunny or partially sunny or cloudy. But 15% might have been the best choice, but it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing you have to ask about the confidence you know, in the predictions. And then the other thing people start to worry about is if AI can do all this, what about me? And what is, how is this going to affect my job and my role? And these are all important, you know, questions to ask. Mm -hmm. And this relates to upskilling, you know, this relates to knowledge workers, this relates to blue collar workers, you know, this relates to everybody. And, you know, not just asking how does this affect my job, but, you know, that's sort of, Kind of could be the negative one. A, a, a po more positive way could be look is like, hey, look, we're not maintaining horses and buggies anymore, okay? And you know, we are maintaining cars. And it wasn't just a rapid fall off a cliff to that happened. I live in Pasadena. Pasadena has the oldest freeway in the nation, the 110 freeway. Mm. My uh, little kids call it the crazy freeway mm -hmm. because it has so many curves like left and right. And like it has entrances in which you come up to the entrance and you have to go from zero to 60, like within a second because everyone else is going, it wasn't built for cars. And people mm -hmm. say, well, why? Well, the cars that were designed then were a lot slower. They were a lot different. And even before, slightly before that, we had horses and buggies, mm -hmm. you know? And so the big challenge is making sure that those transitions of big workforce labor into different jobs has soft landings. And I think mm -hmm. that's the focus that we need to have is like, we're not gonna not, we're not gonna keep the buggy, the horse and buggy. The mm -hmm. car is gonna come, but we just need to ensure a soft landing as at each stage of the transition for our workers. Um, and that's a big thing with AI. Yeah, absolutely. That that leads me to my next question is, is there anything or what proactive things can folks do where they're seeing the trends, they're seeing the changes coming and they don't, they maybe want to be on the leading edge of that transition and not at risk of falling behind? What would you say to them? What should they be doing? One thing that they shouldn't do, and you know, I've spoken on this, is like New York was thinking about banning ChatGPT in schools and in, in K through 12 and stuff. I, mm -hmm. I don't agree with that. I think that's like the ostrich mentality. Mm -hmm. I have a 14 year old. He certainly could use ChatGPT to generate term papers and English papers and stuff like that. I've encouraged him not to. Mm -hmm. I've encouraged him, however, to use ChatGPT to be creative, to come up with ideas. Hey, you ever had writer's block? If it's asking you to enumerate a 10-point list of something and like you're stuck throwing stuff at the wall, use ChatGPT. Why not? You need an acronym? Use ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. You need to like input a bunch of stuff? Don't hide from it. I think we absolutely need to understand generative AI for images. I think we need mm -hmm. to understand what DALI does, what Midjourney does what these different apps like Lenza do and all of these, like use them. A lot of people ask me, do you have a real picture, Chris, or is it just this stupid AI avatar that you use everywhere? And I, I, the reason I do that is I play with, part of my role, no matter what, like I'm a CTO at heart, I play and experiment with things and we have to. Mm -hmm. So the worst thing, the biggest piece of advice I have is not to just declare you know, AI evil and stick your head in the ground like the ostrich. You have to like play and, and mess with these tools and see what they can do. I think that that'll only become more important in the next year, which is election year, mm -hmm. um, because it's already here, the campaign ads that use AI, you know, give you the dystopian future if candidate A is elected versus B, you know, or whatever, mm -hmm. and they're fake. And they didn't tell you they were fake. And they're very believable. And so that's the other thing that I think, the advice that I would have is that 
when you generate things with AI, we need to know that. You know, whether the tool stamped it with a watermark, whether you yourself, when you publish things, say, hey, part of this was generated by AI, as some websites have started to do, that's very important because it can be generated in such a way that it's so believable that without that, we have a problem. <laughs> you know, then we, then we have disinformation, then we have high-velocity, you know, narrative overtaking, you know, and things like that. So, and that's the challenge is that all of this stuff is so easy to use. Anyone can use it. Mm -hmm. Grandma can use it. The little kid can use it. You know, person who doesn't even regularly use computers or watch TV can use it. You know, it's that mainstream. And so those are some of the things I would give as advice. Those are all great, very actionable. And it makes sense to, you know, start knowing knowledge about the tools is going to help us with, you know, using them and also being smarter than, well, being smart about using them in the future, maybe smarter than them. Um, thank you for that. So, there are various, uh, various associations, including the American Bar Association and um, local organizations in the legal community who are kind of creating AI task force in order to address some of the things that are coming up. If you were to give them some advice about what to make sure to include, what to keep in mind as they're creating those, what would that be? A couple things. I think that codifying frameworks for how AI should be ethically used should be like the number one writ a mandate for these task forces. So, and it goes back to, hopefully this won't be a surprise if you've been listening, you know, but it goes back to confidence in the predictions. What data was this trained on? You know, when we use this in a particular domain, what are the people who are doing job A gonna do? You know, and, and things like that. That should be, you know, part one. The other things that need to be, you know, happening in the legal domain and other domains where these task forces are being created, we need to understand intellectual property. Mm -hmm. So that has to do as well as what data it was trained on, not just bias, but hey, you know, like, is this someone's proprietary data that has been scraped and used, you know, for it. Mm -hmm. The other thing eventually we need to understand, and it's going to be hard to do in the now, but maybe in five years, not, not as much, is what are these things actually learning? Mm -hmm. You know, because that's the biggest problem. And, you know, these big, deep neural networks, even the companies that spend hundreds of millions of dollars in the government, they don't know exactly what they're learning. Mm -hmm. They kind of know that this model learned curvatures and noses and ears, and that's why it picked a face. But they're not exactly sure why, because it's all data-driven. It's not a statistical model. Mm -hmm. So we need to learn more about these neural networks, and we need to be cautious when we're using them, and we need to declare that we're using them and, and things like that. And so those are other things that I think need to be part of such regulatory frameworks. And then, finally, I just think these task forces also should look at existing legislation that's happening, like the EU's AI Act, you know, the Digital Act there. I remember from my time, I was the VP of legal at Apache uh, Open Source Foundation for three years. I'm not a lawyer, but I did get to manage, you know, and work with lawyers. And I remember, you know, you never create a new open source license because there's a hundred others that exist. So why do that? You know, all you're doing is making it more confusing. So my advice would be related to that and... AI regulations, don't invent new ones. <laughs> you know, if, if other things are pretty good, adapt them. Don't create brand new ones and things like that. So maybe be influenced by the AI Act and these other things. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Build on what's already out there. Right. Well, kind of my last question before we, we say goodbye would be around anyone who doesn't have the benefit of listening to your talk just now but wants to get educated, wants to know where to look and, and learn more, what are the resources you'd recommend they go look for? Yeah, a couple different things. I think you need to use these tools, and many of them are free and open source, or just simply free to use. There is a free version of ChatGPT provided by OpenAI. I recommend mm -hmm. using that and playing with it and understanding, mm -hmm. creating a free account. 
I recommend playing with things like Dolly, you know, mm-hmm. which is also free, available from OpenAI. The best thing you can do is to play with the tools and use them and see what they do. The others is there's a lot of things being generated in an open way from a community perspective. For instance, Dolly is the model D-A-L-L-E, and they just released a new version of it. But there's something called the Dolly Prompt Book, which teaches you how to type prompts, not search engine queries, into these things and Mm. to control the style of the images that are generated down to whether it's Baroque or, or, you know, it's coloring or it's inspiration, Mm. as well as, you know, ways to kind of control how these images are generated in, in ways that you wouldn't expect because you're not, you know... You can't talk to these things the ways that we talk to search engines. Yeah. So prompt books and open source prompt books like the Dolly one are more. It teaches you how to do that. And then, uh, you know, outside of that, if you're if you're interested in like models and just how these are these are trained, there's a big source of models on Hugging Face. There's and that's a free website from Google and a model repository that you can just look mm-hmm. for different models that already exist. Mm-hmm. Okay, all great recommendations. Thank you so much for pointing us all in the right direction on how to be smart about this. Um, It looks like we've reached the end of the road for this episode, and I want to thank you, um, Dr. Mattman, for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time. If our listeners have questions or want to follow up with you, where's the best way to reach you? I'm one of the cool kids that has an AI domain, mattman.ai, M-A-T-T-M-A-N-N.ai. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lindsay Dean. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.